Hello, my friends. Thank you for tuning into Love Service Wisdom with myself, Marissa Rada Wepner. I am in conversation today with a very delightful woman, Shelby Ann Hart, who I met first back in May of 2022 when we were at the Los Angeles Music as Medicine event that featured John Hopkins and East Forest and Superposition that was sponsored by Numinous. It was this big to-do in LA and Shelby was there. She was in our green room and I didn't know who she was before being introduced to her. I guess that's the case for everybody, right? (laughs) She was just somebody that was in the green room and we casually began to have a conversation together and I liked her. I liked her energy. And then later I found out she was associated with Double Blind, which is a magazine that I've had around my house for the past couple of years, not just associated with Double Blind. She's the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Double Blind Magazine, which is a print magazine for psychedelics, biannual print magazine. They're a media company. They've got a really great website that has all kinds of teaching practices, including like how to grow your own mushrooms. They offer monthly memberships and circles and ways to connect. And I'll be teaching actually for Double Blind this coming December, December 4th, I believe it is. It's a Sunday from 1 to 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time. That's my time zone on prepping the body for a psychedelic journey. So if you go to Double Blind, doubleblindmag.com, you can find all about their incredible work. And it is, it's hands down my favorite magazine on psychedelics because it's the only one I read and subscribe to. So I definitely encourage you to check it out. One, two, just as a resource on psilocybin, on mushrooms. If you're curious about the use of mushrooms, how to grow mushrooms, maybe even where to get mushrooms, check out Double Blind and Shelby. That's her work. So Shelby and I met at the Music is Medicine experience and she was cool. I liked her. I liked her energy a lot. Grounded, grounded, but also like bright at the same time. And as part of Double Blind, they created a like mini retreat festival, mini retreat, mini festival, I should say, the end of June that was in or outside of Ojai. And East Forest performed a ceremony there. So we went to that for the ceremony. And Shelby was also there because it was her thing. Mycologia, is that what it was called? Something like that. It had a big word name, this festival. And uh, again, we kind of hit it off. There were some glitches in the programming and she was wonderful with trying to be accommodating to East Forest wishes. And I was maybe a little bit of a softener (laughs) go-between. And basically by the end of it, she's like, I like you. Let's get to know each other more. So I was like, ditto, let's do it. So we scheduled this podcast or actually scheduled a time to just talk, you know, on the phone and get to know each other. And I suggested then we do a podcast. So what you're going to find in this podcast is two women getting to know each other. So it's pretty casual and conversational. It's not like a, um, you know, 
she's not trying to sell double blind or convince you of anything to buy or do in this podcast. It's us, Shelby and I, really just spending time together. We touch on a lot of different topics, existential crises, which she's not that happy that I bring up, which is kind of funny, our own backgrounds and histories and growth as an embodied experience and many other things. So I think you're going to enjoy it. I'm glad you're getting introduced to Shelby. I apologize. I mean, right now it's the end of October when I'm putting this out and she and I talked, it might've been, been, have been like eight, 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 Lions Gate portal. So months ago, this has been on the back burner. And before I turn you over to it, just wanted to say a thank you to everybody who follows this podcast on Spotify and gives it five stars and absolutely too on Apple Podcasts for giving it a five-star review, writing a little review, a little review. It really helps this, uh, you know, side project of mine go a long way. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm about to go on tour too with the East Forest West Coast Ceremony Tour starting next week, going from Boulder, Colorado, November 1st, all the way around and down and up and all over to Austin, Texas, ending on November 20th. You can go to eastforest.org slash tour to find out about the dates and tickets are going. The first, I think four shows are all sold out now. So check out uh, the, the website, get yourself a ticket. If you're thinking about going, don't hesitate because the shows are selling out and I want to see you. I want to see you there. So say hi if you do come to the shows. And with that, let me turn you over to this conversation with Shelby Hartman. Welcome, Shelby. Welcome, welcome. We were just getting started with it being unrecorded, which demonstrates exactly what we were talking about, our proficiency with radio and technology <laughs> and airwaves. And uh, you were telling me about your time in radio and how you got there. So you were going to oh, George yeah. Washington University. Right. I needed to take a class to complete my minor in journalism. And I looked at the schedule of classes for the upcoming semester. And there was only one class that qualified that fit with my schedule, but there was no name for it on the class and or on the schedule. I didn't know what the class was on, but I was like, oh, well, it fits with my schedule. 
And I showed up the first day and this fa this fabulous, fabulous journalism professor who ended up becoming my first mentor, career mentor named Michael Friedman was teaching the history of radio. Welcome to the history of radio. I was like, the history of radio? And it was a fantastic class because he's one of these professors who he had already had an illustrious career working at CBS News for many decades. And he became a professor because he just really loved teaching and he really loved journalism. And he would take us about once a week, we would sit in his office as opposed to the actual classroom. And we would all squeeze into his office and sit around his desk because he had old radios all over his office and he would turn them on and off and he would tell us about different moments in history. And I remember learning about Edward R. Murrow, who is largely considered kind of the father of radio journalism and how he, during World War II, would uh, stick his microphone out the window of buildings where he was covering the war and he would capture sounds of the streets and how that was the invention of what we call nat sound or natural sound. When you listen to NPR or the BBC and they incorporate sounds from the street or the restaurant or the, or the doorbell. Um, and I just became really interested in how we can tell stories with only audio, which is funny because this was long before podcasts were trendy. Podcasts, I don't even think podcasts were around at that point. Um, so a lot of my friends thought it was kind of funny. Everyone was getting into television and Twitter and was just becoming a thing for journalists. And I was all about radio. I loved it. <laughs> Amazing. So did you have did you do radio programming? Were you on the air somewhere? I was never on the air. I got my first. So I got in Mike Friedman, that professor helped me get an internship at um, at the CBS News Washington Bureau, which was very exciting for me because I would put on my little pencil skirt and I would go in and I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm an intern. Um, <laughs> surrounded by all these real journalists going to Capitol Hill, yada, yada. And then that turned into my first job in journalism. Um, I got hired at the um, CBS News Washington Bureau. And then when I graduated college, I wanted to come back to LA and I got hired at the local affiliate, KNX 1070 News Radio. <laughs> you know how it is. It's yeah. like every every five, 10 minutes, they play that damn thing. And if you're sitting in the newsroom, you, you get to hear it every five, 10 minutes for your entire shift. <laughs> Amazing. So you helped to create the stories you would do, but not give the give the programming on air. Well, what was your I job? Was I was a minion. I was a mm. production minion. You know, it was my first job out of school. So I would, um, I ran the board. I would mm. like turn. So, you know, we, we go from, there was always two anchors. I mean, there's still actually a lot of the people who I started my career with in the, are still working in that newsroom. They're what we call lifers. Like you start there and you, you retire there. Um, but there were two, there's always two anchors who are in the studio. And then there's also field reporters who are out in the field covering various things, right? Wildfires or the traffic or whatever. So as the production minion, I would hang out by the board. And when the anchors were going live, I turned their volume up. And then when the reporters are going live from the field, you, you know, you patch them in and you turn their volume up and mm -hmm. then you run the commercials and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. We also, I also was in charge if there was breaking news, I was in charge of trying to get people on the phone. So like if a celebrity died, 
died or breaking there news. was a celebrity breaking died. news no literally they have this thing <laughs> that they probably still have that plays throughout the entire newsroom including in the bathrooms that goes breaking news <laughs> and like if you're if you're a production minion and you're like going to the bathroom and you hear that you don't even like finish you just pull your pants up and run towards the newsroom <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. It's fascinating. When I was DJing for Radio Boise, I was the only person in the station. So everything you just described, I was doing that in addition to being on air and playing the music. Mm. It was highly stressful. It seems so fun, though. I always had a fantasy of working at a community radio station. I always thought that would be... I loved just it. I loved it. It was all volunteer. All the DJs are volunteers. Most of the staff is volunteer. So it's really very, very community run and focused. And I loved how I could have those three hours in the morning and just really do whatever I wanted and play whatever I wanted and say whatever I wanted. The only thing I couldn't say, of course, were curse words. And those snuck in to like a few songs every now and then, which would, we had this button, this big red button called the dump button. It was red. It was right under where some of the, um, I don't even remember what they're called now. Just like where some of the production equipment was. So I'm facing forward to my left. There's this big red dump, dump, D-U-M-P, dump button that if something got played that shouldn't be played, you hit it. And then it, you know how it goes back and there's a seven second delay. It can somehow take it out of time and space and erase it. And it doesn't go on air. But every time that would happen to me in my panic response, freeze would initiate. And so I'd freeze and never hit the button on time, which was terrible. I used to get in trouble a lot in the early days for accidentally playing fuck or shit or tits or cock or something. I can say now on a podcast. Anything you want, freedom of speech. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, you did that for a while. And so your passion, it sounds like, certainly is journalism. Maybe one of them? One of them, for sure. I think actually most fundamentally I'm a musician, which is funny because people don't even know that about me. Like people who have known me or known about my career for so long are like, oh, you play music? I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that was my first love was music when I was a kid. But, you know, my parents- Music how? Think- In what format? What did you do? How did, well, what do you do now? I mean, I've been, I've been singing. I came out of the womb singing. Um, I would, I think, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, and I took voice lessons for a long time. And then when I was 15, I started playing piano and writing music and ukulele. And so I'm not, you know, I've been surrounded since I was, when I was 15, I went to Berkeley college of music summer program and I met these like these kids that were just prolific, you know, the types of kids that sit in their their garages and go on their guitar. So like I'm not an instrumentalist the way those types of people are instrumentalists. Um, but I can accompany myself and I can, you know, I, I use instruments as tools for writing music. Um, 
and then later I found found journalism. So I would say journalism was probably my second love. So do you have any published music? Like, can we find <laughs> Shelby's band on Spotify? I mean, yeah, I do have an EP on Spotify, but I don't tell anyone about it. I guess I'm telling you about it. <laughs> Is it piano, ukulele, vocals? Pretty much, yeah. And yeah. do you do all the producing yourself and mixing yourself? No, my friend, my friend did it. His name is um, Louis Diller, and he's a pretty amazing. Uh, he's a pretty amazing person and multi instrumentalist and producer. So, any a lot of the stuff that's on there that's not um, piano or ukulele is him. Mm -hmm. Well, mm -hmm. I know what I'll be doing after our conversation. <laughs> that's a dream of mine. I. I'm not a musician. I've always been a music lover. Mm. And that's what got me into even being a radio DJ was just loving music. And I was actually thinking about this the other day, how just what an important part of my life listening to music or going to live music has always been from I mean, I was raised in the Catholic church and we would sing the hymns and that's maybe its own sort of strange, sterile experience, but really finding myself through concerts that I would go to when I was a teenager in the punk rock scene and in the ska scene and just in the live music scene as a kid, like that was community for me. Mm -hmm. And most of my partners being musicians as well and always wanting to go to live shows and finding my friends kind of make fun of me because I've known for like, if we go to a concert, I really dislike the periphery of the crowd where the chatty chatty is happening. And I want to like get in front and center so I can listen <laughs> to the music. Cause I feel like the more you listen to it, the more you get out of the experience and you can have these transcendent experiences just at a rock show, just at, an electronic music show, just at any kind of music, if you're willing to like actually listen and pay attention. So the joke is that like, I'll just disappear. It's like, where'd Rada go? Oh, we know she's uh, she's just there, like bobbing her head in the crowd. Last week I went to four concerts and I took my, took I went to five concerts and four of them, I took my 10 year old son with me because I didn't really have anybody else to go with. And he was over it by the end. But I think he'll look back and appreciate the fact that he's been so exposed to music. And then now being a part of Treefort Music Fest and helping locally in Boise plan and produce our music festival that's been going on for 11 years. And then my partner, obviously him being East Forest and being on the road with him and all of that is, it's just so, it's so immersive for me while I've kind of been on the outside and only recently teaching myself to sing and play the harmonium, which is my mm. favorite thing to do. And my lifelong vision, like if somebody were to ask you something like, what's your ultimate life goal? The thing I always think to myself is I, I want to lead Kirtan, <laughs> which seems so un unobtainable. And I joke with Krishna, like, you're going to put out my Kirtan album, won't you? And he's like, yeah, of course I will. Yeah. Shaking his head no. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. This, yeah. So just reflecting on the deep role that it's played in shaping my life 
even while not being a, what I might call a musician. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm just thinking about it, thinking about our lives, thinking about all of the influences, thinking about all the different access points that we have for growth and spiritual connection. It's really interesting because we're in this world now of plant medicines and psychedelics and spirituality and meditation but I mean yeah I dated a couple metalheads and moshing is fucking spiritual too or it oh my can gosh be. I love a good mosh the energy of the crowd um feeling like you belong feeling like there is a container for your catharsis where it's okay to just let it all out let it all go um I've never been, it's funny, I love music so much. And I'm reminded of that oftentimes when I'm high and just by myself and really tuning into the layers that exist within songs. Passive listening, I listen to music all day. I get up and I turn on reggae while I'm cooking breakfast. And then I listen to, you know, and I listen to music when I do yoga and I listen when I'm, I just listen to music all day long. I listen to it in my car. Do you have often but, like a song running through your head in the background when you're not listening to music? No, although right now I actually, for the first time in a long time, have had this, have had a song stuck in my head. And for the last few days, it's been, um, Oh, to make you feel my love by Garth Brooks, which was then covered by Adele. I've been playing it on the piano. I don't know why I just, it's such a good song. I don't. Can we hear a verse? Because I don't know it. Yeah, you do. It's to make you feel my love. Da 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 da. Yeah, not ringing a bell. <laughs> no. oh, I oh. might have heard it from Garth Brooks more than Adele, because I don't think I could name an Adele song. Sadly, Adele is so good. I never ever listen to Adele but for some crazy reason the other day I was doing yoga and I decided to listen to Adele and I was incredibly moved by it <laughs> hmm. and then you started playing this song and learning it since then yeah awesome and now it's stuck in my head <laughs> <laughs> yeah I would find that often a song would just be like lyrics almost like a mantra even when I was a teenager like just a kid songs would be in my head even if I wasn't listening to music hmm yeah, that used to happen to me a lot as a kid, but it doesn't happen to me as much anymore. But I'm realizing that, I think I realized the other night or I remembered how much I enjoy pop music and how there actually is like a deep, there is a profundity to it because oftentimes the messages within it are so universal. That's why it's popular music because so many different kinds of people can listen to the lyrics and go, oh yeah, I felt that before. Mm -hmm. And then it sits, so, fits in a certain timing, tempo framework too, and structure and arc that's predictable that we've all been conditioned to know, right? Bridge, chorus, bridge, or whatever it is. But it doesn't have to be 
unimaginative or basic True. just because it follows a template. And Although templates so much of it can is. be great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For, for writing music, you mean, or in general? Just like, you know, you using the word basic, it's like, and it's wonderful and it's fine and it's still enjoyable. It's like candy almost. It's like, yeah, that can feel good too. It doesn't always mm. have to be like artsy and avant-garde and different and inventive. It can just be like a straight up pop song and we love it. Okay. So one time when I was, I'm pivoting a little, but it's related. One time when I was on ayahuasca, <laughs> I had a vision of this, um, just this like quintessential American dad sitting in a bathing suit on a beach chair on the sand on 4th of July with like a rainbow umbrella and a cooler and he's drinking his beer and in, and the narrative that I had about this man when I was in the journey is that he has spent so much of his life unhappy in a job that he's unhappy in. And maybe he's had some strains on his, his marriage as well. Maybe he's had some health issues. But on 4th of July, he's like sitting on his chair and he's got his beer and he's got his umbrella and his buddies are there and his kids are there and he's just happy and it's so simple and it's so quote basic but he's just happy and I think for me like more and more as I get older I'm like yeah I just want to sit on my porch and like read the newspaper with a cup of tea I just want to spend my you know I just want to put my hands in the soil I want to learn how to keep a tomato plant alive I want to have an herb garden. I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to do anything. Totally. You're totally right. I think it takes like having experiences where you think when I gratify my senses in this extraordinary way with the drugs and the music and the tropical vacations and the exposure and the people and the celebrity and, da -da 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 -da, and it's all there and you're still just you, you then realize that simple is where it's at in the back porch and the garden and the quiet is just as gratifying, if not perhaps more gratifying one, because it's sustainable and it's true. That's yeah. what I'm finding. That's, I mean, I'm 43, you're younger than me, but I've been in this like transition through my forties of I would say my thirties were effing amazing, like so fun and so many beautiful, just like ecstatic experiences through my thirties that I'm finding myself like settle down more to and enjoying it and feeling a grief also of like who I was and what I was, but really like leaning into more just where I'm at. Part of it too is being a mom. I mean, I've got my 10 year old that I mentioned, but an 18 year old also that's going mm -hmm. off to college in a month. Wow. And I like being a mom. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I don't know. It seems like you have it a lot figured out from where I sit. I'll just say that much. Well, I'm older than you too. Again, how old are you? I'm 32. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not judging myself. I'm just well, offering like a, an observation that, you know, it's like, I don't, 
I don't know. When you told me, when you and Krishna told me that you lived in Idaho, I was like, that's amazing. I felt like as soon as you told me that, I had an image of what your life is like there because my grandparents live in Idaho. And also my best friend's mom lives outside of Boise. And like when you, I don't know, again, like I don't, I feel like a little weird because it's like, I wasn't making too many assumptions about you or your life, but like I did get this. I just, I just felt like from what I know about Krishna's music and from having talked to you a little bit when we first met, I was like, Oh, I feel like they just, are like doing their thing in nature. And I'm so happy for them. Like when that was kind of the impression I got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we just do our thing. We're both incredibly blessed, incredibly blessed with our careers and our life and that we can mostly craft our days to look like how we want them to be. And we're not at the pole or the whims of others. Not that I didn't have periods of time where I had to work through that, but I feel like I'm reaching a newer place in my forties. That's even better than like all those super party, fun, ecstatic times of my thirties. And my twenties were really unconventional because I did my yoga teacher training when I was 22. And then right after that, I, and that was in Costa Rica and I had been in Florida before then I got pregnant with my daughter who's 18 now and moved to rural Montana. So I spent like my 20s that would be like prime bohemian loose whatever being a mom in the middle of nowhere wow with my family Mm. a single mom Mm. wait why did you move to montana well my family had moved from montana to montana from florida when i started college and so i stayed in florida to go to college they all moved to montana I went to Costa Rica after graduating to do my teacher training and then chose to have my daughter, Maya, with this guy that I met there, which is a whole other story by itself. And then we were living in Costa Rica and my mom got pregnant with her last, my younger brother, Morgan. So my mom was pregnant the same time I was. And so then I thought, well, this is unusual and serendipity. So I should spend the pregnancy as much as I can with my mom because they're both pregnant right now. So I went to Montana when I was about six months pregnant and spent the summer pregnant with her. And then we ended up having our babies on the same day in the same hospital. Wow. That is crazy. And then I stayed there for five years after that because then my daughter, my brother was like my daughter's brother. They were like little twins. Mm. Wow. So how long did you stay in Montana for? From 2003 to 2008. And then I moved out to California for a hot minute. Okay. By yourself? With my daughter, Maya. Yeah. 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 With just by myself, and I was getting my graduate degree at what was called ITP, the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. I was in their PhD program. I started that in 2005. And so one of my colleagues that was in my cohort, he was in addiction, recovery, the recovery fields, and he wanted to open up a transpersonal eco-psychology based residential substance abuse treatment center 
in Sebastopol and he asked me to come help him get, get it started. So Maya and I moved to Sebastopol and lived wow. on 40 acres there, getting this center up and running all through 2008. And then the financial crisis happened that November and the center that we had just got up and running lost all of its funding and had to close. Wow. And meanwhile, I'd been in a long distance relationship with this guy that I'd met in Montana. He was a physician and he was in Seattle. And so Maya and I moved when she was five to Seattle through 2009. And then he was from Idaho and really wanted to move to Boise. Like his dream job was being a doctor at the VA hospital in Boise and teaching for the University of Washington as a, a I don't know, a doctor who teaches doctors to be doctors or whatever. So he wanted to move to Boise and that's what got us to Boise. So I've been in Boise since 2009. Mm. And when did you meet Krishna? He and I met, have, did you ever hear of Reality Sandwich? Yeah. Okay. So 2009, when I was in Seattle, I had been working my ass off my whole life. And then I was in this interim when the center had closed. I was living with my fiance at the time, or maybe it was just my, my partner at the time. We got engaged that summer. But I was living with Bill and we were going to move to Boise that summer. So I had like nine months in Seattle where I wasn't going to work and I wasn't going to work because we were going to move. So, so I remember this very distinctly being there and thinking to myself, okay, what did you like to do when, before you were a mom? Like, what were you into before mm. these past five years and you've been working your ass off going to school and being a mom and mm. um, working all the time? And I remembered how I loved the Maya and Mayan culture. That's why my daughter's mm. named Maya, actually. I was like, mm. oh yeah, I loved Maya and indigenous cultures. So I looked up, this is 2009, just Googled that and up came Daniel Pinchback's 2012 Return of Quetzalcoatl book. And I checked it out from the library and I read it. And like in the back of that book, he had a link about Reality Sandwich. And so then I Googled Reality Sandwich. And at that time, they were like an online platform, kind of like double blinds, but online where it was like psychedelics, Burning Man, drugs, counterculture, crop circles, aliens, spirituality, all the things, all the buckets, more, a little more friends and double blind, double blinds, more sophisticated, let's say for sure. We don't so, talk about aliens that often. <laughs> <laughs> well, reality sandwich yeah. did. Sorry, this is a long story. I'm getting to Krishna. So I started to write for reality sandwich. I reached out to Daniel and sent him an email and they were looking for writers at the time. And I would write little articles for them for the online magazine a few times a week. And then they were having, they had like this whole side thing called the Volver that was like their social media platform. And then out of that, they had a retreat in Boulder, Utah. And I thought, I'm going to go to this retreat in Boulder, Utah. And that was October of 2009. And so fast forward, I'd moved down to Boise. I said to my partner, I'm going to go to this psychedelics, weirdo fringe burning man retreat for like five days by myself. I'll be back. 
I went down there, had an amazing time and went back in 2010. So 2009 and 10, I was really connected with the reality sandwich team, even though I was in Idaho and they're mostly out of New York. And Krishna had gone to the same retreat in 2008. So we knew a bunch of the same people, but we didn't know each other. And one of our mutual friends, this guy, Michael Robinson, who was the founder of Reality Sandwich, he said to Krishna once when he was driving back for, cause then Krishna started to spend a ton of time in Boulder. He lived in Portland at the time. So he would drive from Boulder, Utah to Portland back and forth. And in the middle is Boise. So our friend, Michael said, oh, you're going to drive through Boise. You got to meet Marissa. She's one of us. She's in our family. She's there in Boise. So got a cold call from this guy named Trevor, who's like, my friend Michael said we should meet. And I was actually a Thursday morning because I was in the radio station. I said, I'd love to meet up, but I'm in this radio station till noon. But if you're driving through, you can come by and just see me in the station. So him and his wife, Karina, Krishna, when he was married before, his wife, Karina, they came in and met me in the station and we hung out and I played like an East Forest CD on the radio, a track, you know, and he gave me a CD and all that kind of stuff, which was so sweet. And then we would just see each other in similar circles. So that was maybe like 2014, we became friends and then we would see each other at festivals and see each other at events and just keep in touch here and there. It was just like, you know, kind of like you, just somebody like you see when you're out and you slowly develop a relationship with. And then in 2017, we both were divorcing at the same time. And then I looked at him and I thought, you're kind of cute. <laughs> and we've been together since then. You just said you're kind of cute. And then he was like, you're kind of cute too. Internally. That was my internal. <laughs> I was talking to myself. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize it before, but you're actually kind of cute. <laughs> I just turned that on. And now, it, and we were, when we were getting together, kind of merging when we were divorcing, I remember explicitly feeling like you have to tell this guy you are not getting into a relationship because I wasn't planning on getting into a relationship. And I said that to him, like, just so you know, like we are not getting into a relationship. I'm, it's fun getting to know you, you're amazing, but I don't, I don't know if I could do this, you know, all that kind of thing. And we've only been together since then. Mm -hmm. We are mm -hmm. most definitely in a relationship. Now it's five years later. Mm -hmm. I mean, really that's the best way I think is organically just unfolds. Yeah. It just unfolded. It felt, I mean, a lot of it, it's just, yeah, it just feels like a miracle in some way. Cause when we met, we were both like, so in our things and in our lives, like there was never a thought like this would be somebody that I'd be in a relationship with. Mm. And now we're Radha and Krishna. Mm. That's why I remember when I was telling you the story backstage at the Music is Medicine Numinous event in LA in May. Yeah. Um, Ramdas said, You're Radha and he's Krishna. And that to me was so impactful because it was Ramdas saying to me, You can be different as a partner in a relationship. You can finally lean fully in. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be so independent, you can be a mm -hmm. partner. Yeah. One of my favorite books is The Prophet by Khalil Gibran. I don't know if you've mm -hmm. read that, but there's a chapter in there 
about partnership. Maybe it's about marriage. I can't remember, but yeah, it it's often about... quoted in marriage ceremonies. There's a oh, Khalil Gibran quote of like being two trees next to each other. Right, right, right. So basically the idea being that you are, you're together, but you're also separate. And yeah, I've always held that metaphor close as sort of the pinnacle of the ideal relationship um, that you can truly have your heart intertwined with another's and simultaneously be your own person mm. and, and know that you can rely on yourself for the things that I don't want to say the things that matter most because I actually take issue with this idea that you have to be everything for yourself by yourself before you can be with another. Like, I actually don't think that that's true. And I don't think that that's a helpful narrative because it makes people feel like they need to be like a little enlightened Buddha on top of a mountaintop before they can be in relationship no, with other we people. We can only figure out ourselves in partnership. I can only <laughs> get enlightened through relationship. It's not that I've done it already. I'm only learning. Right. I've learned so much about myself since my relationship started with Krishna. I feel like I've grown as a human exponentially, way more than I did. And every it's until then, I've become so much better. Mm. I couldn't yeah. have done it without him, without his support and his reflection and his patience and us being mm. with each other as we individually have grown. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah, I think back on the relationships that I've had and how I was in some of them and how I am now. It's wild. Some days I feel like I've come so far and some days I feel like I'm who I've always been. With all the same sticks, as my mother <laughs> likes to say. <laughs> Are you in partnership now? No, I'm not. But if any single men are listening to this podcast, you know where to find me. <laughs> <laughs> She's available, folks. I've typically, I have always dated musicians as well. Spiritual, spiritually inclined musicians. <laughs> Would so. you put that on your want ad still? Um. Yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's just about, I mean, you want to have, to me, there's two components. One, there's kind of like the X factor, pheromone, like, I just, I just really like you kind of thing that is hard to pin down. And then there's all the like foundational, like we can communicate, I respect you, we have similar interests, we can, you know. And then I think both, both components are important for me, like music, music is such an important part of my life that I would have a hard time. I don't need to date a musician, but I would have a hard time dating someone who doesn't want to just literally lay and listen to an album in silence with me and go, wow, did you hear how that instrument just came in and out? Wasn't that amazing? Mm. You know, cause I, I just want to be able to share in that joy with another person, like, cooking for me is huge as well. Like to date someone who doesn't really care about food, 
I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, it's, uh, it's like with all things in life, I think that it's good to set an intention, to have a vision, to be walking a path, and also to know that, like, what is that old adage about you make, you know, you make plans and God laughs or life is what happens when you're busy planning other things or just this idea that like, you know, you get right with yourself and you meditate and you do your yoga and you step in forward into the world intentionally, knowing that there's only so much we can predict and knowing that at some point along the way, like, you know, I could end up falling in love with someone who you know, lives halfway across the world and is in their fifties and has seven children. You know what I mean? Like whoever I, like, I don't, I'm not gonna, you know, say yes or no to anything before I've, you know, actually had the chance to take a look at it and ask myself and my heart, like, is this what I want? Mm -hmm. I think of it more about how I want to feel in a particular thing versus how the thing will look. Because then it can look any way as long as I feel a particular way. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Sort of like, do you, um, are you into somatic therapy? Are you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I kind of figured. Yeah. So the wisdom of the body. Yeah, but even like emotionally feel like when I was let's say manifesting a partner when I was younger, like all those years I was in Montana and there were only cowboys to date. I had a phrase or a mantra that was like, and I'll give it to you guys. This is my secret relationship manifestation mantra. I'm so grateful for my romantic, spiritual, satisfying relationship. It was Mm -hmm. just that. I want it to feel romantic and lovey. I want us to have spirit and I want to be satisfied. And the satisfaction felt really key to me. Like I just wanted to feel good. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. So that's what I mean by how I want to feel in it. Mm. And then now I have Krishna and it's all those things and more. I'm so grateful for it. I tell him like, I love you somehow more in the beginning it just like gets it just feels like it's expanding as we Mm. grow as we expand our love is expanding as we are expanding as humans Mm -hmm. yeah my mom says the same thing about my dad that she loves him more every day Mm. which is nice and before honestly i wasn't a good partner like i was i had my own wounds and hangups and traumas and baggages. And just, I think having gone through the crucible of divorce too, it's so painful. It's so Mm. painful. You learn so much of what you're not going to do again. Yeah. Life, such a journey. I was walking my dog the other day and I was thinking about just all the inevitable ups and downs of life and how they can't be predicted maybe someday I'll get cancer maybe someday I'll get dementia 
it's not unlikely because both those things run in my family, you know, maybe I'll fall in love and have children and that person and I will get divorced and it will be incredibly painful. Maybe, I don't know, anything could happen. Anything could happen. And, um, I don't know. I guess I've just been thinking about that more lately because it's easy to be really consumed by the present moment, especially if the present moment contains challenges that we're trying to navigate through. And it's been helpful for me to remember the long view and to remember that, Shelby, you're 32. I mean, likely I have many more decades on this planet who knows what will become of Double Blind. I hope that it becomes a legacy outlet like Rolling Stone and that many decades from now, people look back on the magazine and think, wow, it was such a, you know, it played such an important role at this moment in psychedelic history. But, you know, who who the heck knows? You know, and especially with someone like me, I mean, I really am open to like, having a completely different career in music or just moving to a farm or anything could happen really. <laughs> so you're having these thoughts a little bit about, it sounds like your uncertainty around your place in time right now and what's mm. going on right now. And then thinking about the future was helping you to settle into what is right now. Mm. I actually think that a lot of positive things are happening right now in my life. Yeah. Seems that um, way. I mean, I love my parents so much and they live close by. I love my dog. She's the sweetest little angel. I live in a cute little house. It's old. Everything's always breaking. There's no AC, but I love it. It was built in 1904. It's got a lot of character. So there's a lot of positive things happening. I guess for me, I've just always been existential. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. I majored in philosophy, discovered existentialism at eight, discovered existentialism and acid when I was 18. Bad combination. <laughs> <laughs> Question, do you ever come out of your trips in an existential crisis? <laughs> um, well, that certainly happened when I was 18. And I could tell you all about the ex my teenage existential crisis and how I tried to delete. I tried to delete all the all the phone numbers <laughs> in, my, in my cell phone because I was like, nothing matters. No one matters. I was feeling extremely nihilistic. But Verizon, I had a flip phone at the time and Verizon wouldn't <laughs> Verizon literally wouldn't let me delete all the numbers at once because like <laughs> it's some kind of error they're like you can't possibly mean to be to do this I was like fuck it's I remember a safety I sitting, feature I was sitting in the zen garden at my liberal arts college <laughs> trying to delete all my cell phone numbers but anyway um and then after I want to say after the first time I did ayahuasca at 25, I had a tough, I had a tough couple of months for sure. But otherwise, I, yeah, otherwise, I think generally speaking, especially in the last like seven years or so, when I emerge from a psychedelic experience, it just gives me clarity, levity. 
sometimes I realize I need to make certain changes like, oh, I should change where I'm living or I should get out of this relationship I'm in. But I never, it never set, it hasn't, at least in recent years, sent me into this kind of existential tailspin, nothing matters. What am I doing with my life? Luckily. <laughs> well, I ask because it comes up for me sometimes. Still, oh, it does. Yeah, even currently. Well, mm -hmm. mm. Mm -hmm. But if it's on, it has to be like a high enough dose. And then I think it's like, you know, where nothingness rubs up against everything, the all and the void overlap or are the same thing, you can look at it as the all or as the void, which that's what mm. propels me into the existentialism. Maybe I'm just dopamine depleted too and hungry. You mean the void is in not knowing the what void, matters? The void is like the Buddhist term for oneness. Like the Hindus think of like, it's all one, it's all everything. And on the flip side of that, in Buddhist traditions, it's known as the nothing or the void. Right. But they're the same thing. Just different ways of naming the ineffable. And why does that create a sense of existentialism? Because then it gets into that, well, what does it even matter? If everything is all everything and oneness and nothingness, then nothing matters. Mm -hmm. when I'm blown out too big. Right. I guess I just can't feel that way because I always come back to how much love I have for people. And that always feels like it matters no matter what. Mm -hmm. Well, that's like the life raft. That is what saves you in those existential seas for sure. And that's what brings me back as well. And like Joseph Campbell, his quote, the meaning of life is the meaning that you give it. Mm, yeah. I mean, this is a whole other, we're going down a whole rabbit hole that could be another hour long podcast, but I guess I'll just say that that fundamental idea that there's no objective truth or values and that we all create our own meaning, that was the seed of my, my teenage existential crisis. And coming into the wisdom of my body and learning about Eastern philosophies um, that are more simplistic and less cerebral and nihilistic. And um, honestly, having experiences that have felt to me like a connection to the divine, largely through ayahuasca, has blown away any remnants of existentialism that I ever had. I just, I don't, like, I don't care anymore to talk about whether there's objective, like in on an intellectual level, whether there's objective truth and values. I know what I care about and I know that I care deeply. Mm -hmm. Like you just said, it's an embodied experience. Love, truth as an embodied experience. It's not something to be I think of it like mental masturbation. Sometimes those conversations, <laughs> yeah. you don't need to do that anymore. It's all just mental speculating where it's like, I have felt in my body blank. And now you can't argue with that. You can't argue with me with your objective philosophy because I have felt it. Yeah, totally, totally. And I also just, 
when it comes to discourse in general, I always have to come back to like, why are we having this conversation? You know, when you think about, um, you know, political debate, for example, what, what is the point of discourse? Is it to just like tell everyone what you already believe or is it to actually engage in a conversation of active listening and shifting of perspectives and opening of hearts and minds? I don't care to have a conversation with someone who just wants to talk at me. And I think that like, you know, again, just going back to this idea of like, you know, engaging in some kind of like cerebral intellectual conversation around whether there is or isn't meaning like I, why, what is the point of that conversation? I just really, if it, we could, we could have the conversation if we just think it's interesting People talk because it entertains <laughs> both people involved. That's like most of what talking is. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm making sense here. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it for sure. I get exactly where you're coming at. I mean, and for me, the reason to ask that question is I was looking for help. <laughs> Do you have guidance? in the realm of existential crisis. And it sounds like you do, and you answered it beautifully. It's like, at the Mm. end of the day, it's love. And remembering that is the antidote. Mm. I think also these days, I'm coming back a lot to just tending to ourselves in the most basic ways possible. Because when I was 18, hope my parents don't listen to this, but I was going to say when I was 18, I was smoking cigarettes. I was like running around in my combat boots. I thought I was like so cool. I was so tortured. <laughs> and, like, and, you know, and I was so smart because I was reading existentialism and F you, if you don't understand it, you're just not as smart as I am. And, you know, now I'm just like, okay, you're unhappy. So are you drinking water? Are you sleeping? You know, when was the last time you ate vegetables? Like parents tell their kids, right? Eat your broccoli. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if it sounds, you know, overly simplistic, but really like, it's so easy to forget these fundamental pillars because we live in this culture of like self-help books and podcasts and, you know, and also the mind is just tricks us into thinking that the more we think about something, the closer we're going to get to coming to some kind of resolution about it. And yeah, that's not the way out. No, you're totally right. You're hundred percent like on my little pulpit, speaking my language of just tending to the basic needs of your body. And I think I mentioned to you briefly, like when we met in May, I was kind of on more of a kick then like diving into just even the role that the body plays in psychedelics and where it's set and setting. I feel like the missing piece is the body. Like, let's not just talk about mindset. Let's talk about how do you take care of the basic needs of your body, which might sound really elementary or like you're talking to children, but I think it's easy to skip for a lot of folks, you know, where a lot of my basic guidance is like, brush your teeth. You don't need to wear makeup, wear comfortable clothes, drink water, be in a comfortable environment, have food ready for your body afterwards. 
walk outside. This is how you get your animal body ready for an experience, which affects your mindset, which affects the set, Mm. but you go at it from the angle of caring for your body. Yeah, totally. Totally. We interviewed a a really fantastic woman who goes by Omalewa. She also goes by the entheogenic midwife. She's based in Jamaica. She is a um, kind of a mentee of Kalindi Lee. Mm-hmm. And um, she was talking about how to prepare for, a, how she prepares for a mushroom experience and how she recommends to people that they prepare for the experience. And I remember her saying, don't let a single dead skin cell into that ceremony. <laughs> like you get into that bath, you exfoliate yourself, you rub that scalp, you freaking clean under your nails. Hundred percent. Like, get ready. Yes, because you're asking your body to ingest a foreign substance so that you can have an experience. So treat your body well, which you're asking it to do a big thing. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Was will she be featured in Double Blind? Well, we did a webinar with her. Um, I don't know, probably a year ago, and yeah, I would mm. love to. Mm-hmm. you know work with her more she's amazing I'm really we're kind of on the train right now of um just highlighting people who we think are doing really great work um particularly people who haven't gotten a lot of visibility in the past um you know we we, we featured a lot of um kind of the bigger names in psychedelics on double blind um, you know, Paul Stamets and Rick Doblin and Rick Strassman and all those guys are amazing and we love them and we are so grateful that they support Double Blind. And also, you know, like you were saying, you're trying to uplift women more. I mean, I, and I'm sure you have too, have encountered so many just magical, magical women through walking this plant medicine path. And I'm like, I don't, give a shit how many Instagram followers you have or whether you have a PhD from Johns Hopkins, like, you know, what's up and people need to hear you talk Mm. period end story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I respect that a lot about double blind, even though you featured, you know, the heavy hitters, let's say it's one of the, I don't know, most enjoyably put together magazines, even down to just like the paper. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> it feels good many in my hands. Kinds of paper. Believe it or not, there are many, many, many different kinds of paper. <laughs> <laughs> I've had to learn about so many things I never thought I would have to learn about. Well, this is high quality paper, high quality <laughs> images. There's always art towards the middle of it. There's longer pieces, there's shorter pieces. It's definitely the underrepresented you know, getting into trans or queer or, you know, fringes. You have that one piece on like BDSM, BDSM, BD, I don't know the BDSM. BDSM. Bondage, domination, sadomasochism, which. <laughs> it's just the whole <laughs> spectrum. It's really satisfying. I literally have double Thanks. blinds on my coffee table, Aww. in my bathroom and next to my bed. Oh, cute. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the intention. People thought we were crazy starting a print magazine and it hasn't been easy, but 
honestly, I hate screens. It's great to, it's better than nothing. It's awesome that we can talk right now, but, um, you know, I just don't get me going on my soapbox about how screens are just ruining everything that we treasure, including our ability to be present and to cultivate true intimacy with other humans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, like it just was not an option to have a psychic to have psychedelic storytelling only on the internet. No. People don't engage with content. I hate the word content too, but people don't engage with stories or journalism that well on the internet. And we can see that because we have all the little bots that track how far people get down in the article. And most people who like an article on Facebook never even click on it and actually read it. Yeah. True story. True story. With a magazine, it's not going anywhere. We get to spend time <laughs> together. I can get to know you slowly. You can be here for months and I revisit you. I have this weird quirk that I've had my entire life where I pick up magazines and I read them from the back. Mm. I don't know why, but it's my preferred oh. way of reading a magazine it's from the end from the last wow, page. Interesting. So now I have to open up the most recent issue that's sitting here and see what you would have seen if you had opened it from the back. Oh, it's actually kind of nice from the back. Yeah, not bad. Not a bad experience. It's my preferred method. <laughs> like when I was a kid and I learned that I don't even know if this is true or not, but another kid told me that monkeys open bananas <laughs> from the, from the uh, other side. From the bottom. From the bottom. So I started opening my bananas that way. And I opened them that way for years because when you <laughs> open them from the, <laughs> when you open them the way that you're taught to open them, if they don't open readily, then the top gets mushy because you pull the handle back and forth and it smushes the top of the fruit. Exactly. Much more efficient to do it the other way around. From the bottom. The monkeys have perfected it. We can trust them. <laughs> I wouldn't say that there's a reason that reading the magazine from the end is the most efficient way. It's just the preferred. Yeah. So double blind, it comes out twice a year. Is that right? It comes out twice a year. Yes. When's the next issue due? The next issue is coming out in December and um, we're working on it right now. Um, it takes a while because we have to have, we have to have a month for editing, then a month for design, a month for all the art and photography, a month for design, a month to print it. So we start way before it actually comes out, but we have most of it mapped out already and uh, it's looking really good. So I'm excited. Well, I look forward to getting my copy. Yeah. I really look forward to it. Where can people find you and where can they find Double Blind? Um, well, they can find Double Blind on all the platforms. Uh, our website is doubleblindmag.com. Um, we're at Double Blind Mag on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook. <laughs> we don't have a Snapchat. <laughs> If you want to make one for us, that's you can do, you can do that. Um, I'm speaking to your audience. If there's yeah, someone listening, I don't have a um, Snapchat but, account. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. People can follow me on Instagram if they want. I don't really post anything. I'm not really not. I don't do much online, so I'm not super accessible. But do you have uh, a Shelby website? 
Not really. I mean, I haven't updated it in like mm. five years. Not really but, is like a kind of, but don't go there. If people want to DM me, if people want to get in touch with me, they can DM me on Instagram. My Instagram is at Sheldy and A-N-N-E heart, H-A-R-T. Um, but in general, you know, we just like to be a resource for folks. So if anyone's like thinking about doing mushrooms or wants to go to the Amazon and do ayahuasca or whatever, like we have classes, we have webinars. We're also just like always available to answer people's questions. Um, so I always like to just put that out there that we want to be, you know, a free resource for people wherever they're at in their journey. So don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, I know when you go to Double Blinds, it pops up like learn to grow mushrooms at home, the free free kit or whatever it is. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, well, we're trying to empower folks to grow their own medicine, you know, so that if you can grow it yourself, then, you know, you're good, basically. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and don't forget, we can find you on Spotify. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you can you can. And I, I mean, if you want to, you can look me up on Spotify. I have four songs on there. It's Shelby, S-H-E-L-B-Y-A-N-N-E on Spotify. Shelby Ann. Yeah, I have a, um, my EP is called Becoming, <laughs> which I came up with before Michelle Obama released her book, BT Dubs. <laughs> she got it from me. <laughs> I can't wait to give a listen. I love that you're a musician. And that's a through line too. I can, after this conversation, I can feel why it just seems like there's a, a resonance between us. I just love your energy. Thanks. Likewise. Thanks for doing all the good work in the world. Thanks. Thanks to you too. One day at a time. Here we go. Mm -hmm. Upwards and onwards. (laughs) And right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that'll be the end for now to be continued. Bye, everyone. Bye.